preserving freedom and throwing political correctness out the window. This is the JCS Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the JCS Podcast. Today, you've got myself, John, and a special guest, Simone. How do you say your last name, Simone? Simone. Maverna. 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 From from Italy. And you might be wondering, how did we get somebody from Italy on our show? That's quite different. Um... The story goes as follows. On the night of our last recording, I put a joke, um, a satirical joke on Facebook to get people talking, where I said, I googled the results of socialism and nothing came up. And upon doing that, some people thought it was funny, other people got upset about it, and it became this huge Facebook fight. And everybody loves an opportunity to fight on Facebook, as you, as some of you guys listening at home may know. And eventually it went down. I stopped reading after a certain point, but then Simone jumped in and he said, next time that you want to know about socialism, get a hold of me rather than talk to Google because it's a corporate entity anyway. <laughs> so I took, I took him up on the offer and I, and we got talking. Um, I haven't spoken to him in years. I got to know him when I, uh, when I was in high school, I took a study abroad program through AFS in Italy and that's how we met each other. We really hit it off and, um, it's been four years. It's been what four years? You said four years. Yes, four years since the last time that we chat. So I'm just as excited as yeah, as he is to get this conversation started. And he's going to talk a little bit about the benefits of socialism. So uh, before we do that, Simone, why don't you tell some of the audience at home? Start by talking a little bit about your views, how those formed, and yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I grew up in a country that has a strong bipolar because we've we've always been smack dab in the middle of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, through the Cold War, we were tipping point in Europe. And uh, let's take um, let's take the um, idealism first out of the picture. I tell you my ideals because ideals are like something pretty that you look at to remember your direction. So I'll just, I just want to, I personally feel I'm an anarchist. Okay. So I, as I told you, I stand on the left hand side of communism. Right. But isn't isn't anarchy on the right? No, anarchy is anywhere you want to put it. Anarchy is, is thinking with your own head. Okay. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what anarchy is about. That's a good point. That's why it's an ideal. To me, it's an ideal because uh, to have a world where you don't need rules, you'd have a world of thinking heads, which is not happening soon. Right. That's so, a quick question. Is, uh, John's uh, going to uh, jump in here. Yeah. Um. I, so I know I know there's different types of you know there's traditional anarchists, but I know that there's anarcho-capitalists, anarcho-socialists, and stuff. Like that. Would you describe yourself as like an anarcho-socialist? I'd probably describe myself as anarcho-socialist because. Uh, the whole social part of politics is what intrigues me and fascinates me the most because I personally believe, I've been brought up to believe that state has a responsibility to citizens, okay? Forgive me if sometimes I need time to find words because, of course, English is not my first language, so 
Yeah, no problem. Just, so yes, I would probably consider myself an uh, anarcho-socialist if I had to find my place in that spectrum. Yeah, because it's a wide spectrum. So my mm. ideas, uh, my ideas, the area of Italy I grew up in is uh, where all the fighting happened during World War One, mm. World War Two. Sorry. During World War II, during the Nazi occupation of the north of Italy, after the Allied forces had freed the southern part, and mm-hmm. uh, and communist and socialist forces were a big, big part in uh, the um, partisans fighting. So, uh, different formations of partisan uh, freedom fighters took to the mountains. Okay, and. Uh, most of these formations were either socialists or communists, plus there were some. All, those, all the forces were fighting. All the people would believe that an occupation from the Nazis was not something okay. My teacher, my elementary school teacher, mm-hmm. he was what you would call a runner for his partisan forces. Mm-hmm. She would take messages up and down the mountains. She was young, so she was not suspected. And she married freedom fighter. So when I grew up, I was exposed to all these ideas and all the stories of people who fought for the freedom of my country. And uh, and one of the main pulls was to make a country for everyone and a country that was fair. And one of the points of fairness is that is that everyone gets the same chance. So equal opportunities is what you're saying. Yeah, of course. Equal opportunities. Yeah. How would you um? How would you describe the difference for the viewers um, between uh, regular socialism and anarcho-socialism? Because I know you guys have a similar ideas, but of course, like regular socialists would want these policies implemented by the government. But how 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 would you like those policies implemented? Those kind of ideas. How can we get equal opportunities? Is it through the government? How do, or is it through some other form? How do we get those opportunities in your view? Okay, so I talked about my anarchist idealism in the beginning to take it, just to take it out of a picture because I don't think that the anarchic view is something that can be implemented in society now. I don't think we're there and I don't think we're getting there soon. So what I'm actually way closer to you guys than you may think, because mm-hmm. what I believe is that you need, uh, as Dr. Seuss would put it, right? <laughs> you need exercise of equilibrium. Right. Okay. So if you want equilibrium, you need two pools. I'm not averse to the capitalist pool. I'm just saying that it needs a counterbalance because. We've seen it in the 90s. We've seen it in the 90s when after the fall of the, of the Berlin Wall and all the fall of the whole communist group, the unchecked liberalism was detrimental to even to the American economy. It, the whole bank's bubble, it mm-hmm. came from the fact that there was no opposing force anymore on a world level. Is what I'm saying yeah. making yeah. sense to you? Yeah, is it making sense to you, John, a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, while he's thinking about a yeah, question, yeah, sure. um, I know that you had this recent incident with, with uh, your father. I don't want to talk too much into detail about it, but I know that you said in a private message that it would be a good <laughs> example of, of socialized medicine, if I'm understanding what you were trying to get to that. So can you talk well, a little bit about that? It's definitely a good point in, in favor of free healthcare. 
okay? So, my dad, I'll just explain it because it's nothing to be ashamed of and uh, it's something that needs to be explained okay. uh, in making my point. My dad is in his early 70s, but he's still riding horses because uh, he's, a, he's stubborn and he's a strong man. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. But he fell from a horse nine months ago and got hurt. Got into the hospital, emergency room and everything. So if he had an insurance and he had to be covered by his insurance, he would have been covered, but they probably would have made on his next policy would have been if you have another accident with your horse, you know, it's probably going to invalidate the policy mm -hmm. was stopped. So he has a second accident last week mm -hmm. on his horse and he gets badly hurt again, seven ribs and stuff. And uh, he's spending 10 days in the hospital now. Okay. Because he's making all sorts of checks. And this is all covered for him from taxes. And I know how it works in the States. I know how much it would have cost. That kind of, uh, of uh, how you call it, of uh, um, assistance. Right. That's the word I was looking for. That kind of assistance, it costs a lot of money. And yeah. It, it probably, his, his insurance probably wouldn't have covered him the second time around. So we, I live firsthand one of the advantages of living in a social democracy. So a, a country that has two pools. And I could make so many examples in that aspect of free healthcare is something that I strongly believe in. So I think that Simone, to, to jump off of what you're saying, I think that you make an excellent point with what you're saying. Like, for example, similar to what you, you're saying is car insurance here in the United States. Um, let's say you get into an accident. They'll give you the, some plans, give you forgiveness. But if you get into the same accident again, like say your father fell off a horse and he fell off again, you said it might, he might not get the same coverage if it was health insurance. With car insurance, you do the same thing a second time. They're going to raise your rates to, to penalize you because why are you making the same mistake that you made before? Why should we continue to cover you? Same thing with the health insurance. So I can completely understand the argument that you're trying to make there, but my question back to you is you said that um, it's covered through the taxes. How high do you, are, are taxes in Italy? They must be pretty high for you to have that, the, the free health care. Uh, they're not okay. Uh, how do I... It, taxes in Italy mm -hmm. are high, but uh, that is not even a big... Like, a health care is not a big part of it, mm -hmm. of why taxes are high. Like, taxes are 52%. On the, a lot of, uh, but we're also one of the, <laughs> yeah, we're also one of the countries with the most waste. Uh, I mm. wouldn't call Italy the perfect social democracy. It's it's far from perfect. There's many, but I can tell you of places like Sweden. Sweden, uh, they got free healthcare, uh, free dental care till they're eighteen. Free universities, right, and thirty percent taxes average. Now, um, I have a quick question, Ed. Um, so, so would you would you say it's fair to say that Italy is a homogenous society? 
Can you explain what you mean by homogenous? Yeah, sure, um, sure. I'll explain it. I'm English you, speaker, sure. and I don't even know yeah, what you sure. mean by that. So basically, <laughs> what would you say? I'll explain it, but I think I know what you mean. Okay. Okay. Like, if when a society is formed of uh, uh, similar, uh, yeah, very alike people, very similar yeah. cultural beliefs, very you know, very similar uh, religions. Now, so I guess, um, and this this is pretty much what I'll base my question on. Do you think? Um, so when you compare Italy or maybe like Nordic countries like Sweden to the United States in size and in culture, do you do you think culture plays a big role in how successful uh, an economic system you put in place is? So like, so for example, if we tried to implement a social democracy in the United States, which is a very large, very diverse society, do you, do you think the same results or successes would come still, or do you think culture plays a big role? That's a very good question. Yeah, that is a very good question. (laughs) I wouldn't call Italy an homogenous country. Mm -hmm. Uh, Far from it, which is uh, why we we are excellent in many aspects and we suck in so many others. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, it's true. Uh, Because uh, we're a patchwork of Mm -hmm. small regional cultures. Mm -hmm. We are... uh, 100 years younger than you guys. I mean, of course, we got all those layers of history before right. that make us think, but they're basically, you know, when uh, Michelangelo was working in Rome, he was working for the glory of the Pope. And when he was working in Florence, he was working for the glory of Florence, and so on, so on, so on. So, no, we got a big. Uh, We've got two big dividing problems in Italy, which is the north-south problem, and uh, uh, in it, we call it, we still call it the fascist communist problem, which is like if you're right wing, you are a fascist; if you're left wing, you are a communist, and there's no middle ground. And mm-hmm. it's pretty stupid because it's pretty old; it's old terms that shouldn't even be used anymore. But what the fuck? And it's kind of funny that you bring that up, Simone, because we're kind of, America is going through half of that right now. I don't know if we would say that people are calling left-wingers communists, but especially with the rise of the alt-right, there's this huge thing going on in this country right now. Oh, if he's a right-winger and he's brought to campus, he must be a fascist. I mean, there's Or a Nazi. Huge, or a Nazi, yeah. and, and there's this huge thing going on right now of people who have right-wing beliefs that they're automatically labeled as a yes. Nazi or a fascist. So you're saying that happens in Italy? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was so you're saying, saying yeah, no, exactly. So that's kind of an issue that's really unfortunate that's happening here in the United States. I mean, people who are, I, I'll just give you a perfect example. Um, Rick Santorum, and there's a lot of reasons not to like him, which I think we talked about last week on the show. If not, yeah. I wrote about it. Oh, yeah. He was invited to Cornell University in the fall, and I went to listen to what he had to say. And a lot of people were calling him a fascist and a Nazi and all these things because he happens to be a social conservative. So are you saying that Italy has a similar thing where people who happen to be right wing, whether it be for for money or for um, social policy, that they're also being labeled this Nazi, this fascist, just because they happen to be right wing. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's a bit more it's complicated. It's a bit more layered, probably, mm-hmm. back home here where I come from, mm-hmm. because because there's a whole um, 70, 80 years of history behind it mm-hmm. of being fascist and being communist. But yes, it's very similar. 
is very similar nowadays, like Berlusconi. I wouldn't go as far as calling Berlusconi a fascist. He certainly was hated. He was, <laughs> he was definitely extreme capitalist right, mm -hmm. like just like uh, Europe or US. POTUS, P-O-T-U-S, that's how you say it, right? P-O-T-U-S. Yeah, the president. Is like, uh, is, he was controversial in that same, exact same way. But uh, as yeah. far as fascist, uh, <laughs> you need to do, do more than just uh, some strict uh, security policies to be a fascist. In my view, uh, being a fascist means... Uh, uh, repression means uh, reducing the freedom of speech means uh, that you actually are against one ethnicity or one religious group but some of those things are happening there are signals that are worrying in uh, the way the American right is speaking right now but, but making, you know, in Italy we make uh, you make a you can't make a bundle of all kinds of weed, you know. You can't put everything together and say that everything is the same. There's right, right wing people with independent, and there's right people who can't think. Right wing people who can't think for themselves, and then there's right wing people with hatred in their hearts, and there's left wing people who can think for themselves, and there's left wing people who can't think for themselves, and then there's left wing people with hatred in their heart. It's it's too easy to just label somebody who is on a side one label because it never works like that. Exactly, and and I completely agree with you. Whether it's someone who's far on the right who's saying, oh, in this country anyways, I know people who say, oh, all the liberals are just libtards, or you got someone on the left who's saying, oh, they're all just Nazis, or what you're seeing in Italy where they're all like, oh, they're all communists, or they're all fascists. That yeah. itself, that doesn't work. You can't say that everybody from a particular group is the same. It just doesn't work. It's not true. And it's, it's funny that you brought it up and how it's happening to the right-wing people now in the States, which is pretty new, as opposed to if you were on the left-hand side for a long, long time in the States, you'd be labeled as a communist and, mm -hmm. and have a problem with that. I just and saw... Uh, sort um, of swung around right. because... because People. Because, you know, Tommy Lee Jones in Man in Black he said that people, when they're bun bundled together, they can be pretty stupid, you know, and yeah. fear makes them think stupid things. I completely agree. And um, you make a good point about how the, that used to happen to the left. There's a movie that came out, I think it won an Oscar or was nominated for one. Did you see Trumbo? The movie Trumbo that came out? About no, the, I oh, it's I a, it's a great movie about um, this, this this writer in Hollywood, Dalton Trumbo. He actually wrote the movie Spartacus among a bunch of others. Yeah. But he was a he was a communist and he was blacklisted from Hollywood for having those those left wing views, especially at the time uh, when we Black were still season. right when we were still uh, had the Cold War with Russia when that was still going on. So. But he, he, in order for him to continue his career, he had to write under a false name because nobody would hire him because of his left-wing views. So that kind of extremism that happened then, we're seeing a lot of that happen now, but the polar opposite in this country. It's kind of interesting how that 
that changed. It's it's very interesting. It's mm-hmm. I don't want to get controversial. So, but if you look at the history of the United States mm-hmm. and uh, what uh, kind of uh, I mean, Russia was supporting regimes. The states were supporting regimes. Let's come out in the open and not pretend that that didn't happen during the sixties and seventies. And the states used to be sustaining right-wing regimes because it was still preferable to having a communist regime next door. Mm -hmm. It was political. So it's really funny that now it's a big scare to find yourselves with a fascist government. I think it's kind of interesting that things have swung around so much culturally. So I want to... Move to another question here. We talked about um, free healthcare, and I wanted to know if there's other social policy, socialism uh, policies of socialism that either you've seen in Italy or in other countries in Europe, and how they uh, benefit. Specifically, let's talk about the poor. Let's talk about how socialism helps the poor. Well, uh, both the poor and the working classes, right. which is the main. Well, first of all, let's not forget that most of the workers' rights that nowadays we consider a given come from uh, unions' uh, fights back in the day, back when unions still made sense and meant something. Right. Uh, So that's a good example of something. I mean, uh, a government that has both pools, that has also socialist pool, knows that for the industry to thrive, the people need to be well fed and well supplied. To have an elite that can get into the industry and into politics, you need to have a well-educated lower class. And that's, that's some of the big advantages, like free school. When I was a child, now... After 20 years of Berlusconi, things have changed a lot because mm-hmm. a lot of what was public has been privatized in Italy. Okay? Okay. So uh, I've seen the change and I've seen the difference. And I'm not saying that it's war for every country, but I've seen how it happened here. And we had really high-level uh, schools back in the day when I was a kid. Our schools were... Uh, uh, some of the best in the world, and I'm not saying this to brag, like the city next to mine, which is called Reggio Emilia, it's a small city, and had this system for uh, younger students' education until like elementary school till nine or ten. That was uh, way ahead of its times with all the observation and uh, taking notes of everything the children say. It's like the new systems that are used now everywhere, are being implemented everywhere now. And uh, they were a public group financed by the, by the region. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it was something that was has been studied uh, by American universities. Uh, it has been studied from, by Northern Europe universities. And they're all using their methods in all these countries now. Okay? And it was something that was made with public money, even hospitals. Uh, nowadays, uh, they're half public and half private. I don't know exactly how to explain it. Right. It's very convoluted. Okay? That makes sense. And uh, so even though they're 
public entities, they have to work on a profit, okay? This, of course, this creates, uh, ironically, it creates the worst service because uh, to get uh, public money for surgeries, private clinics will, uh, it happened, it was a big scandal here, would make, uh, how it's hard to say this for me in English, I'm trying to find the right words, they would make uh, uh, prescribe surgeries that were not necessary because they would get money for this. So they would make a profit. You get what I mean? Whereas when you could work on a loss and you didn't need to make a profit at the end of the day, this would not happen. This was told to me by doctors who work in hospitals. So it was like something firsthand. And... Uh, the service just went down since this happened. They, they, and the same with school. The school has been, they've been taking money away from the public school. And uh, In Italy, in, there's uh, less money for the public education, you said? What? Are you saying that they took money from the public education? They've been cutting a lot. In the last 15 years, they cut a lot of money from the public education. And you can see schools are getting worse. The level of students is lower and lower. You know, I work a lot with uh, teenagers. Right. With AFS, right. my AFS uh, social work. And, and I see the level of education going down. And uh, this is, uh, is sort of like they, when they try to make a hybrid out of this thing. Let's make it a bit capitalistic and a bit socialist. It doesn't work. Now, would so you... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, go ahead. Okay. Um, would, so would you say... So you said these were with the hospitals. They were public hospitals, but they operated for making profit. Yeah. They, they've been... Okay. Yeah. I, it's hard to explain. I kind of see what you're saying, though. Yeah. They've been partially privatized. Okay. So they're not, they, even though they are public, the building is public, but they are operated by private uh, organizations. Would you prefer that either the hospital be completely public or completely private, as opposed to being like a hybrid, like you said? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Because it does, yes. as you said, it doesn't work as well when it's a mixed of the two of course because you have to make compromises in uh, both directions mm. and so you compromise in the end you compromise the service i think uh, public worked perfectly here and uh, i know that public works just uh, private works just fine for you guys uh, so i'm guessing that Stick standing in the middle is never good. Yeah, I mean, it, we're doing pretty well, although there's a lot of countries like Canada and Britain that do offer the free, mm -hmm. the, the free healthcare. There are also studies that show that a lot of people who need those surgeries, because the lines are so long, they come to the United States where they can get, in, in some cases, better um, treatment. There's yeah? Some, yeah, there's that, that, that often happens. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure... But at the same uh, at the same time, um, then not everyone can afford it. Not everyone can afford it. Right. And it's 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 also a matter of what kind of surgery. You know, like mm -hmm. some excellences come out of country of different countries. So it also depends on that, because sometimes 
maybe if there's a longer there's a longer line to get to a surgery yeah but if it's uh, but if it's uh, vital at least here if it's vital you get bumped up at least in italy like, you get bumped up if it's vital yeah. See yeah. now that's good. Yeah. That's 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 much better than in other countries. I think is it I think right? in other kind of well actually I can give an example. A radio yeah, show do. host I've seen before, Stephen Molyneux, I've listened to the show before. He he lives in Canada and he had to come to he had cancer, he had a tumor like just under his just under his jaw and he had he had to come to the United States for health care because I, I forgot how many months they told him he had to wait till he could get the procedure, but if right. he waited, he would have died. So he had to come to the United States, and luckily he had the means to get right. to the United States, but he would have probably passed. So I like the I do like the fact that you're the nation of Italy where you live in has the priority for depending on the surgery that does that does help for the free health care. But if you have free health care and it's first come first serve, well, it doesn't really help those who are. You know what I mean? Of course. Of so, course. your system—they've—if they've done one thing right, that's right there. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, but how does it work in the states if it's uh, uh, not first come first serve? I mean, if I want to go in this uh, clinic to get this surgery, mm-hmm. which I'm going to be, my insurance is going to pay for, and uh, or I'm going to pay for, and there's another fifteen people, or right. 100 people that need the surgery will i not have to wait well you're you're exactly right that does it does depend on the thing too because like for example organ donations you have to wait Mm -hmm. until the um you have to wait in line for a donation for that um depending on the surgery john you you have a little bit more information on that than i do don't you on surgery um well i well one interesting one thing you might find interesting is that i i believe i can't remember what he said quote for quote but i believe that bernie sanders during his campaign was asked that if we had universal health care in the united states is it is it quite possible that someone who needed a bigger operation like a knee surgery would have to wait longer mm-hmm. than they would currently or they would in another kind of system and he said yes it is definitely okay. possible. So that is interesting. I would need to look into more exactly in terms of the surgery. How does the way, how does, because I'm now interested too, how does it work in our current system? We should look that up, John. Sure. And um, get but, back to him on that off off the show. Sure. And I, I do find it interesting, Simone, that you mentioned the half private, half public things, because that's actually one of my, that's actually a complaint I have with the United States. I think mm-hmm. often when you look at our healthcare system, when you look at, the way that a lot of corporations operate in the United States, a lot of them are subsidized by the government. Uh, the government gives them a lot of special privileges. People can lobby. I think actually one of the biggest issues in the United States is corporatism. And uh, so I find it interesting that you mentioned that's also an issue in Italy. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's an issue more or less everywhere. Right. Yeah. Because that's why it's corporate. I mean, it's... It's something that works on a larger level than nations, mm-hmm. and these dynamics they permeate uh, all these different political textures. Uh, yeah, can I say textures? No, doesn't make sense. Political system, political fabrics. fabrics. Yeah, fabrics. Political work. fabrics. Yeah. yeah. I think what yeah. we're gonna do, Simone, just based off of time, is we are gonna take our first break in the show. We've been talking about this, believe it or not, for about a half an hour now. And um, we're going to take a break here. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JCS podcast. That's right. We're still on the phone with our friend from Italy, Simone. Simone, you, Hello. Ready, to- <laughs> you ready to rock and roll with some more with some more juicy stuff? Let's do it. All right. Okay. So our second topic for the day is going to be about President Donald Trump's recent controversy. It's a new one every single day. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it really is, Simone. It's just crazy. I, every time I wake up, I don't know if I should go back to bed or just say fuck it let me get my clothes on and start the day <laughs> I, just... I understand you perfectly I, I told you Berlusconi we had Berlusconi it's, it was sort of like a, a rehearsal yeah. smaller scale rehearsal mm-hmm. so the most recent controversy is out of the blue on Saturday morning um, I believe this was a week ago yeah, last Saturday morning out of the blue, he just uh, tweeted out about um, President Obama wiretapping him. Let me see if I can find the exact tweet. Donald Trump tweet. Yeah, who haven't they wiretapped? You know, something that I learned from my experience in following mm-hmm. politics is that every time a politician makes a wild allegation, mm-hmm. I hold my butt cheeks a bit tighter. I'm not looking what I'm looking at the end that's saying uh, they wiretapped me. Exactly. So here's what he said. He he tweeted out at 6.30 in the morning. Jeez. Terrible. Just found out that Obama had wiretapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. It's awful. It's terrible. Nobody knows bad news like I do. Believe me. <laughs> That's my Trump impression. It gets better every day. <laughs> but that's what he had said. And, um, well... Can I start from something? Start Why from something. Why the fuck would someone want to tap Trump where everything that passes through his head is on Twitter? Exactly, exactly. Why are we going to tap your phones when you just put it on Twitter anyway? Like, he can't get off of Twitter. He always puts this information on here. And I'm surprised he hasn't put the nuclear codes up there yet. But I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> probably, yeah, it's probably going to be coming. <coughs> hey, Vlad? <laughs> hey, Vlad. How are you doing? How are you doing? They should get they should get the picture together at like you know they can get pictures together at like in the the photo booths. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it's I gonna like happen. Buildings. <laughs> I like buildings, exactly. So I don't understand this whole. It just doesn't make any sense. First off, if you thought that he did it, you have access to all the information. Like exactly, it, declassify it. Exactly. All you have to do is pick up a phone and find out did he did he intercept my my calls and just like that they have to tell you they have to tell you. But instead you're gonna go like a little kid and put it on Twitter. I think this is absolutely ridiculous, Simone, and I think that, that this didn't happen at all. I don't think President Obama went out of his way. Excuse me to wiretap Donald Trump's phones, mainly because he had he didn't even think Trump was going to win. So he didn't need to do all this dirt. He thought that Trump was providing as much dirt as possible every time he opened his mouth anyway. <laughs> I still can't believe that he won. I mean, John and I, last time I came over here, we were watching the WrestleMania video. Yeah. You remember uh-huh. the battle, the hair versus hair match? Yeah. You remember that, Simone, right? Where, um, huh? There's been plenty. Which one? This was the WrestleMania match where Vince McMahon bet on... Trump versus her, yes. 
Yeah, hair versus hair. And then we watch the part where Trump, like, tackles Vince McMahon. And he looks at me, John looks at me and says, that's our president. (laughs) And I said, the fuck it is. Yeah. (laughs) So... Abs- I-, I do not agree with it at all. I don't think that President Obama went out of his way. I think it's just him being unfiltered and stupid again. I, I-, I never thought I'd see the day where I said, man, do I miss George Bush. Yeah, I think the, 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 yes. cause that's the problem is the discussion shouldn't be about, oh, you know, did, did Obama personally wiretap Donald Trump? The, the, the discussion should really be about what's going on with the NSA and the CIA and all American citizens. That's what the discussion should be about. Correct. Because if they want to, as Edward Snowden had revealed, as Julian Assange has revealed, and even investigations from both the, not the Daily Mail, the... Times. I think it was New York Times. Yes. Oh, here it was. The Guardian and the Washington Post. They they oh. didn't... Okay, yeah. They did investigative journalism, and they looked into it, and they found out that the NSA and FBI have direct access to the servers of tech giants Google, Facebook, and Apple. And at the current moment, they can receive metadata, which is one thing that Rand Paul was um, filibustering against. Yes. Because he says that, you know, this provision under the Patriot Act, yeah. which started after 9-11, that allows them to catalog, um, it's, it's specifically for the audience listening at home, it's Section 702 of the... It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Or I, I rather, Section 215 of the Patriot Act allows the federal government to um, catalog all of our phone calls, who you call, who's making the call, when the call was placed, how the call, how long the conversation lasts. And the Constitution does not allow for that. It, our, our rights as citizens, you cannot look into our information, whether it be physical or digital, it's still our property, without a warrant. And that's completely against procedural due process, and the fact that they're doing this is unconstitutional, and it should not be allowed. So, this, this I, I like to say there's a little bit of truth in everything. I don't think that President Barack Obama went out and specifically said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, and we're going to tap. President Trump's phones. I don't think he did that. But I think that if they wanted to do that, they would do that. And one of the ways that they would do that is, and this isn't that far-fetched of an idea, the idea that Obama uh, tapped his phones is very far-fetched. But the idea that maybe President Trump was on the phone with someone from Russia and they they were keeping an eye on those Russian phone calls. Maybe, say, for example, uh, an advisor for President Trump was speaking to an advisor for President Putin. Well, they're tapping into Putin's phones, so it's not Trump's fault. It's not the government's fault that somebody under his watch, under his administration, happens to be calling the Russians. Because guess what? The NSA is spying on the Russians. Because, fun fact, don't know if you know this, John, Russia is not our friend. (laughs) <laughs> don't know if you realize that Simone uh, you know I take this with a, with a pinch of salt but I miss the fucking Soviet Union and I'll explain uh, I think Cold War when it was real I mean when it was Cold War when it was gloves off no mask at least you fucking picked a side and uh, it was you either were on one side or you were on the other I ever liked the Ruskies or you like the Yanks. And nowadays it's so, so 
muddled. Mm -hmm. It's also fucking muddled. And even, I mean, for me, you know, we talked about this when you came over to Italy. We had we talked about a bit about the Snowden thing back in the day. Yeah. And you know how I feel about it. I don't think that it betrayed the U.S. government, whereas it served the U.S. people in that moment. Right. That is my idea. But I also think that it's... It's been. It was made back in the day, and I'm not one who will go too kindly on President Obama on some of his policies. But at the same time, I think it was pretty funny because it was all brought up to be such a, a big scandal because it happened during Obama's presidency. But this was made possible by the Patriot Acts, which were implemented by a Republican president. That's right. Mm-hmm. So. So why ever fuck when Bush was doing this, was it okay? And then for a lot of people, it's not okay anymore when they keep on doing it. See, I hate this. I absolutely hate this hypocrisy. And I think that people need to stand to their principles, not to people. This idea of it's not okay when they do it, but it's perfectly okay when my guy does it. I mean, a perfect example of this was all the people, the Republicans who were mad at Hillary Clinton for using a private email server. Mike Pence, the vice president, is right now using a private email server. It does not be, it's not, it does not all of a sudden become okay when your guy is doing the same corrupt thing. Okay? It doesn't all of a sudden become wrong when Barack Obama is using the NSA to spy on Americans if George Bush was doing it. If you're gonna say that the action is wrong, you have to say that both of them are wrong or neither of them are wrong. You can't just go ahead and say, oh, well, I don't like Obama, so it's not okay when he does it. But if Trump does it, it's great. That's not how it works. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat. If, if they're abusing the Fourth Amendment, they're abusing the Fourth Amendment. Exactly. So the Patriot Act started under uh, President uh, President Bush, and that's that was one wrong thing that happened. And then the other one that I wrote down was the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA, which started under President Obama, which allows not just metadata, but online communications. It allows them to see whatever you're doing online. And the reason why that's not so far-fetched is because it's foreign intelligence. And again, there's a lot of fishy stuff going on between whether Trump was involved with Russia or not. So that doesn't necessarily mean that the NSA is listening to Trump. But if Trump is having communications with Russia, he's involved in that foreign intelligence aspect of it so that's why i like to say there's a little bit of truth in everything so that's why i say that i don't think that they necessarily again i don't think they necessarily went after trump but i do think that if he was involved in the sketchy stuff then he was involved in the sketchy stuff and he happened to been um, caught on it a representative from the fbi um, chief of the criminal division uh, fraud section said in an interview was on C-SPAN that not only does he want to wiretap all forms of communication, he wants to be able to intercept Skype calls, Dropbox information in Gmail. And keep in mind, all this information that he wants to do is without a warrant. So again, my question is like, we're spending all this time talking about um, and the, the media is spending all this time talking about Trump's allegations, but they're not spending any time really talking about what they want to do to increase it. I mean, Bush started it. Obama increased some of the NSA's um, power. 
and we're not having a conversation about what might happen under President Trump, that's a concern for me. What else did you have to say about this job? Yeah, well, I, I just feel like uh, for, for everyone listening, people just got to remember that that don't don't get caught up in the whole mainstream media battle about Trump and Obama and getting involved in all the drama about these these politicians. I, you gotta you should do do your research and you gotta focus on what what what's happening to you and the people around you. Like, mm-hmm. focus on policy. Don't focus on people. Right. You know, don't get caught up in that. And I'm sure, uh, making this again back to Simone, I'm sure that you've seen a lot of politician drama over there in Italy, right? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I told you, I mean, okay, I mean, you, do you have any idea of who Berlusconi was, the stuff that he did? I looked at a little bit of it, but why don't you tell us just some of what he did? Humor us. Okay. <laughs> so let's start from the end. So that it can give you some hope, but for the future, uh, he was his political career was undone by the fact that not only was he caught going with an underage prostitute, underage. Uh, which would be something bad in as, and of itself, but it, why how he was caught was the fun part, because what happened is that this girl. Uh, was arrested for her job, okay, and she was taken uh, to a police station. And the police station all of a sudden receives a phone call. Okay, this girl was from Tunisia, okay? Mm -hmm. It was a girl from Tunisia, 16 years old. And the police receives a phone call from the prime minister. You can imagine their surprise, saying that he should release her immediately because she's the nephew of Mubarak, the president of Egypt. Which wasn't true. Well, she was from Tunisia. Yeah, and she was in no way, shape, or form connected to any politician. Mm. And this was a big scandal, and uh, it undid him. But he had quite a history of, you know, like degrading women, I think you can relate, Uh, uh, he had an history of um, waving the um, communist threat in front of people to tell them uh, there's communism on the other side of me, and uh, he, well, he went from being the 28th to the 7th richest man uh, in Europe during his time in office. Wow. wow. That's, that's, that's Some shady business dealings going on there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like when you start, which is why you don't want a billionaire as your president or prime minister, because people are like, oh, he's rich already. He won't need to make money off us. Guys, it's not an inclusive club. When you're a billionaire, uh, you want to get as rich as you can, faster than... I mean, it's 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 why economics and po- business and politics should not mix. Because personal interests are always going to trump common interests. Because in four years or eight years, I'm not going to be the president anymore. And why should... Why the fuck should I sacrifice for you peasants? It's, it's pretty much the attitude. And... And I was like, honestly, I was, last year, I was in Indiana, okay? So, Bible Belt, 
uh, bread and butter heart of the United States. And so I, I had to talk with a lot of Trump supporters. And I was like, you know, I could even understand supporting Trump if I stepped into his shoes, but not for any of the reasons that they told me. What were some of the reasons that they told you? They were like, you know, because Hillary is the elite and we got to vote against the elite and uh, we got to vote someone who is from out of a system. And I'm like, how is someone who's responsible of, I don't know how many bankruptcies and... Uh, four, uh, I think. I think it's who four. has been... Four, okay. Mm-hmm. And who has uh, been in the elite for the last... How old is he? 75 years of his life? He's uh, 70. 70. He's 70. 70. Who is... He was the son of... It, I mean, he doesn't come from a poor family. He comes from, uh, from money. And... Uh, <coughs> well, not that much money, because it was just a small loan of a million dollars, Simone. It was only a small loan. million dollars? When? When he was starting his... um. His business, oh, you might not have heard about this. When he was starting his business, he said, yeah, I got some help from my father. I just asked for a small loan of a million dollars to start up. I mean, that was the 70s, right? Yeah. Yeah, a million dollars in the 70s is not a million dollars now. No. It's like, what, 15, 20 million dollars now, something like that? But that's just pocket change. You don't have that? You don't have 15... (laughs) (laughs) You don't have that sitting around? So I'm, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, so you understand what I mean? It's like, if you want someone who is not from the elite, how the fuck is Trump not from the elite? Right, when he benefited off of this system and off of... I mean, for one thing, he convinced the mayor, Ed Koch, to give him a... to make one of his buildings non-taxable because of the friendship that his father had with the former mayor of New York City. So, I mean, if that's not elite, I mean, I don't know what is. It's funny, Simone, because I grew up in the same, in the Trump communities. And by that, I mean, I grew up in a small, urban, mostly white. Um, I grew up in one of the communities that almost entirely voted for Trump. And if you polled them five maybe 10 years, anywhere between 5 and 10 years ago, and just said, random people on the street, what do you think about Donald Trump? They would have said, I can't stand that good-for-nothing damn Yankee who thinks that he's better than us. Because I'm going to tell you right now, people in that community, they don't like it when people um, in these kind of communities across the country, and you might have seen it in Indiana, they don't like it when people think of themselves as better than you. They don't like that. And Donald Trump definitely thinks of himself as better than other people. He thinks that he's the smartest guy in the room, which, shocker, he's not. <laughs> but it's interesting to see that this person that if, a few years ago they would have hated him, all of a sudden they like him. Um, and I, I, that part, that aspect of it, I will never understand. The aspect of the lesser of two evils at respect where they really don't like Hillary Clinton. Don't get me wrong. I would not have been happy if Hillary became president either. Right. Going back to our last point. So like, um, I, we were saying how both candidates were like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, well, I don't know if Caleb informed you, but him and I both voted third party. We voted in the, uh, libertarian party for Gary Johnson. Cause I, a lot of our friend group just said, uh, look guys, 
We can't. <laughs> can't support Trump. We can't support Clinton either. Like, I, I can understand you perfectly. I mean, I like watching from outside, and of course, with my point of view on the world, I like Sanders. What I really liked was that it was honest. It was like, you know, I'm offering you this alternative, and it's going to take sacrifices to get there. And that was pretty honest. And But I understand I wouldn't have been probably... I mean, maybe I would have put Hillary because I thought she was still the lesser of two mm-hmm. evils. But I wouldn't have been happy and Hillary Clinton as a president. Because she was... I think Hillary, she... She was not such a good choice. She was actually a very terrible choice because, uh, I mean, she had been around in some form or shape around the White House uh, for the last, what, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, she'd been around the White House since Bill Clinton, 1992. uh, I mean, uh, Bill got into office in January 93, right? Right. Yeah, so she's been there for way too long, and and she's been involved in a lot of bad shit. And uh, when you're for when you're in the limelight for so long, and you've been involved in so much stuff, of course it's gonna a lot of that stuff is gonna filter out, and it's gonna yeah. be used against you. Everywhere that she went, controversy followed from Whitewater to Travelgate to Benghazi to her email server to, I mean, everywhere that she went, controversy followed. And there's no way that I I just didn't have any trust in her. And I think that was the biggest thing was that she was not a, a trustworthy individual. And I think the biggest reason for her loss, a lot of people saying, oh, it was the, the hacking. Well, it was the fact that half the country was so annoyed with our choices that they didn't vote. Yeah, not only that, but I mean, when you look at Hillary Clinton's record, I mean, she was adamantly, for example, she's called the, the champion for, uh, uh, for gay rights and for women's rights. When She was adamantly against gay marriage until she figured out she could utilize that for votes if she switched her mind. She voted for the Iraq War. She's always been a warmonger, just like a lot of neoconservative Republicans are accused of. She, she, um, not only that, she supported a no-fly zone with Russia, which, in my personal opinion, is not a good idea. I'd probably consider myself a non-interventionist. So, but um, a no-fly zone, I think, honestly, could have put us in a World War Three scenario. So, I, I don't, uh, I did not think Hillary Clinton was a good choice. I didn't think Trump was a good choice, but I definitely did not think Hillary was a right. good choice. No, either. Totally, I totally agree with you. I mean, what, what, what was her platform anyway? <sighs> she always said, "Go look at my website." When, when you went on her website, it was just a bunch of vague rhetoric about um, women's women's rights, and she talked about. Um, See, you know, I'm, gonna, the, I'm gonna help. She she would she would kind of like do half of what Bernie said. I think she wanted to raise the minimum wage, for example, to like. Only, no, she but. only wanted to raise the minimum wage after she realized that it was popular among the Bernie crowd. She right. was actually more conservative than you would think. Yeah, she more centered. But that's exactly the impression I got was that her platform was whatever was the hot topic at the moment. And exactly. Rand Paul actually got a neocon. A very liberal position on that, but not like she really meant it. Right. She it, only, she only, her, that's her whole, her whole career has been, that she would only sway towards something if she thought that it would help her out. She only was popular, she became popular for gay marriage when it, 
the majority of the country supported it. She became popular for raising a minimum wage when the majority of the Democratic Party supported it. She became popular for the Bernie Sanders method of health care when she realized that that was one of the things that he was doing better on her for in terms of the Democratic primaries. So she only picked positions that helped her out. I mean, the fact of the matter is she talked about how she was helping women and she was helping black Americans. You know who was the only presidential candidate who went out there on the Women's March the day after the election? It was Bernie. Was it? it was Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders was out there. Doesn't surprise me. You, during the civil rights movement, Hillary Clinton was out there fighting for Barry Goldwater, who was against the Civil Rights Act. Where at the same time, Bernie Sanders was out there marching with civil rights leaders and actually went to jail to fight for the yeah, and for who their was rights. The mayor of Burlington that wrote a letter to Margaret Thatcher telling her that their treatment of the Irish people was intolerable. Bernie mm -hmm. Sanders again. So, again, these are just, and even to the small, minute things, I mean, where she was using her campaign money that people were giving her, corporate donors mostly, to t fly these exuberant private jets, Bernie went from event to event flying economy. Yeah. That's something that I've never seen a politician do. That you're going to, instead of taking the, your private bus, you're going to be right there with the people because you have nothing to fear because you see yourself as one of the people. There are certain things I don't like him on. John and I disagree with him on certain economic policies. I was kind of upset when I found out that he used a lot of tax breaks to only pay 13%. Um, in taxes. So there are things that he's done that upset me, but Free the houses. one thing he, he John, John's saying he thinks it's hypocritical for him to be upset with the 1% if he owns three houses. So there are things that um, you can criticize him on, but the one thing I will never criticize him on is his character. I yeah. think that he showed great character and that alone, that would have made me vote for him because at the end of the day, um, he's definitely passionate about what he believes. He's definitely, he's definitely passionate. Appears about that way. He definitely, exactly. You know, he definitely yeah, cares I, about I what. I believe that uh, you have to be able to separate the public and the private mm -hmm. in certain. I mean, of course, not when it's criminal. When the private is criminal, or when the private is something that is detrimental to what what that person is trying to accomplish, you cannot separate it. But otherwise, you you can't ask any human being 100% consistency because otherwise they'd be Jesus Christ of whatever you believe in. Right. I think that what we're going to do uh, based off of time here is we're going to take one final break here, Simone, um, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the state of pro wrestling, upcoming wrestling. 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 It's a. It's one of the oldest art forms that, as you said, is um not as appreciated as well as it should be. How you you know you're very hypocritical of the direction the WWE has gone in the last decade. Critical. And just uh, critical. Not critical. Or critical. Yeah. Just critical. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're you're critical about some of the decisions that they've made. You definitely um, like the roster. I think the roster's been the best it's been in in years. And uh, we're going to talk about that when we come back from break. So anybody at home, sit back, relax, put your feet up, get a coffee, get a tea, and we'll be back in a few minutes. I got drunk and I texted your mother. I woke up, found it on the phone. Well, guess what, shorty, I'm crazy. And that's why I sleep alone. I bet to cost me yep here comes your ringtone 
Ladies and gentlemen, to the JCS podcast. I hope that you've been having a lot of fun with myself, John, and our special guest of the night, Simone. Hello. There we go. And we've got one other guest for this segment. Oh, yeah. We got the Tony Feathers, right? The Tony Feathers. The Tony Feathers. The Tony Feathers. The one and only. The, and my partner in crime at Cuban Community College <laughs> with Young Americans for Liberty. He is the social media coordinator of our chapter. He's great with memes. Nobody makes better memes than he does. No, nobody. <laughs> nobody. I make them hugely. <laughs> hugely. No, but um, Tony's great. He's been, been in a lot of great work. We're happy to have him on the show. He's a huge wrestling fan like like me, Caleb, and Simone, so we wanted to bring him on for this segment. Tony, welcome to the show. Welcome Thanks to the show, Tony. Me. So what we're going to do um, before we jump into the state of the WWE is I've got the actual card, the 11 matches, I, I looked into it, that are scheduled for WrestleMania at this current moment. I'm just going to name them off, and as as I name them off, why don't we say our predictions as to what do we think is going to happen. How's that we'll sound? Go, we'll Sounds pretty one fun. one person each? We'll one person each? Yeah, we'll just go around the table. Um, Simone's on the table, so he always gets to go yes. first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first match, and this is in no particular order of the card, it's just I typed them up as I went. We got Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. What do you guys think is going to happen in this one? Okay, so um, I think they should make Wyatt look strong, but I mm-hmm. think Orton is going over. What do you think, John? I can totally see where Simone is coming from. I think it's going to be a really epic match. Um, 
Let's see if I had to pick one of them though. I think I don't know where they're gonna go with the storyline, but I have a gut feeling that Randy Orton, like Simone said, is going to go over. I don't know if someone's gonna interfere. I don't know if something's gonna happen. What's gonna happen exactly? But uh, there's different there's different theories coming to mind. But I, I think Randy Orton will go over in that match. What you hear voices in your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, for me, from a good storytelling perspective, there's two things they could do. They could add Luke Harper to the match, make it a triple threat, and have either Randy Orton or Luke Harper win, or have Luke Harper interfere and cause Bray Wyatt the championship, setting up a month-long feud between Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. Which, that is what I oversee. I think that that this is, regardless of wins, I don't think it's going to be a clean victory. I don't think it's going to be a clean yeah, victory. I, I think agree. that it is either going to be a disqualification via weapons or someone's going to interfere. And if that someone interferes, it's going to be Luke Harper, which is going to intensify the rivalry with him. Because to be honest, in my view, there's really nothing else to do with Luke Harper other than involve him in the Wyatt family. He doesn't seem... Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some disagreements with him, but I don't, with my view on this. But I don't see any way that they can really build his character any more than what they what they can do with his family. Uh, I don't agree. You don't agree with that? I, I probably because I've been more exposed to his uh, to his work before getting to WWE. Okay. I actually think that Luke Harper, together with Cesaro, are probably the two. Uh, most underutilized uh, workhorses in the roster. I and definitely Luke agree. Harper, if he can talk, he can sure as hell wrestle. Yeah. He's good in the ring. He's, he's an imposing figure. I don't know why they never used him more than just being a spooky guy in the back. I'd have to see some of his work beforehand, because I haven't seen the work that he's done before coming into this company. You used to go around by the name Brody Lee. Mm -hmm. So that's what you want to look for. So that's the first match. Up, up, coming right after that, and I have on the list, Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. Better known as I like to call it as a don't know, don't care. <laughs> I totally agree. I completely agree with you. <laughs> like, I have to be completely honest. I'm uh, okay. Uh, let's come out of a closet. I'm 41, so just because there's an age span, and I, I've seen back in the days so things that you were too young to see. So. I never, ever, ever, ever cared for Goldberg. <laughs> Not for one minute. Never popped once. I think he's he's got a great look, and uh, he's got a great entrance, and that's about it. His entrance is pretty great. I do like that. Uh... Yeah, the entrance is awesome. And it looked like he was gonna fuck shit up when you saw him come up, like in this 90s. And you were like, whoa, whoa! And then he gets into the ring and it's two moves. And there's no storytelling in his matches. He doesn't understand psychology. He's sort of like a, a worse version of Hulk Hogan. Right. And his catchphrase, I was watching an interview on the WWE Network. What is his catchphrase? I'll. I'll Who's think. next? Who's next? Who's next? Yeah, it's yeah. not even that original. He came up with the catchphrase. They were eating dinner, 
And they, he, uh, Vince McMahon told him, not Vince McMahon, because he wasn't in WWE. He was in um, WCW. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, he was in another company. So, but he was WCW. WCW. He was in WCW, and they told him that he needed a catchphrase. And he's sitting there at dinner with some other wrestlers, and the the waitress, someone gave their order, and the waitress said, who's next? And then he looked at the table, and he's like, that's my catchphrase. <laughs> I'm not making that, that shit up. Like that's Goldberg. exactly. Oh, that's exactly. That is funny though. That's that Goldberg. That it's Goldberg funny. in a nutshell. There's not that much thought put into it. It's like yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think. I think in some ways you could say that Goldberg is uh, the apex uh, of uh, of carny con con uh, con artists. Mm-hmm. You know how they worked. And Goldberg works like that, you know, his streak, the famous streak of Goldberg, which was like 175 victories in a row. But most of the matches never happened. Like, oh, he's 80 matches uh, in a row is won in dark matches that we never showed on TV. Right. So there's so much wrestling in that. So uh, in a way, I should be appreciating Goldberg more, maybe, but uh, fuck Goldberg. Yeah, I... Okay, here, here, here's my thing. Here's my problem. Here's my problem with this match. Sometimes WWE gets, and what's what I think they're doing wrong is they get very predictable. So with this match, for example, I feel like Brock Lesnar is going to win. I don't know very how, much. but yes. I very, very. Because here's the thing. What the fuck, Bro- fucking Goldberg? Who's like, how old is he? 50, about fifty. Something. He's about fifty. He's like fifty something. This dude strolls in. Fucking, he, he fucking crushes Brock Lesnar, just not, without a problem. And then, and then now they're going to have a rematch, and then, you know, it may be, it may be some sort of, they might try to make it some sort of epic match, but it's just like, it just, it's not, at this point, it's just not, not, not an entertaining match, it's not exciting, I think it's, I think it's predictable in a way, you know, maybe something will happen, but I honestly think, like, where does this rivalry go afterwards, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't, I think that Brock Lesnar's gonna win the match, so this way that Goldberg can leave the WWE, because there's really, he hasn't done anything exciting since he's returned, it's just been, they go in there, they have a boring match, and out of all the rivalries they can bring back, the WrestleMania 21 wasn't even that interesting, I went back and rewatched it on the WWE Network, and it was the most boring thing. There was only two ways you could book this, you either make a a squash, like you did, Mm -hmm. or what probably is going to happen at WrestleMania, another shitty match, because... They couldn't have a good match when Lesnar was in his prime and Goldberg was still good. I mean, good as good as Goldberg could get. Nowadays, I mean, how long can Goldberg go in the ring without without getting guessed? Uh, so uh, there's only two ways that you can book this match, and one way is you make it a squash, like you did the first time, because uh, Goldberg doesn't have a guess for a long match, and nor the storytelling tools, and Lesnar doesn't have a storytelling tools for a long match. I mean, he couldn't make a long match with uh, uh, Randy Orton, which is a way more accomplished wrestler than Goldberg will ever be. Plus, but the other way you can go is make a long match and make it a boring match. I mean, it's never going to be an epic battle even the first time, the only way they could go to at least get some mileage on Goldberg was to make what they did. 
shock value because otherwise they would have had a 10 minutes match that sucked right exactly the, 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 the first match absolutely sucked it was, the whole crowd was screaming this match sucks this match sucks and they were pretty much hugging each other the whole time there wasn't any excitement that was going on the so that was it that was the best honestly that was the best part of the match that was the that was the part that I was cheering because I was like fuck these guys this match sucks yeah. I so, know we're, we're close on time but yeah. we'll just what about you, Tony? What do you think? Uh, I've seen reports this match is going to be 10 minutes and under. Uh, it's obvious Brock Lesnar is going to win here. Right. I don't think that they have any reason to keep Goldberg in the company anymore. Let him go back to designing cars. I think he had his own like uh, uh, show for a while there. Did you ever see that? Yes. Yeah. No, I haven't. He had a reality show for a little bit. It was kind of like his version of Pimp My Ride. It completely <laughs> bombed. So let him go back to making cars. <laughs> let's, yes, yes. let's, um, we're getting close on time for the end of the show. Um, so let's just go through the, the rest of the card real quick. Um, some of the, the biggest ones. I'm not going to really talk about the Under the Giant Battle Royale. I'll talk, or really the, the, the mixed tag between Cena and The Miz. That's not really as big. Let's talk about. Cena's going to win. Huh? Cena's going to win. Cena's going to win. So let's talk about. Maybe Jericho and Owens? Well, let's talk about Jericho and I, Owens. I, I love both of these guys. I love Kevin Owens and I love Chris Jericho. I think they're going to have a really good match. Um, it's sad to see that their whole friendship thing ended because I thought that was that really was funny to hilarious. Watch. Yeah, so yeah, I thought that was, was really hilarious. Funny. Um, even the way they ended it was funny though. He handed yeah. him another list, and yeah. it was the Owens. That was pretty clever. I like that. Yeah, but I, I think I, you know, it's it's hard to say because uh, I know that Chris Jericho is the current United States champion. You know, I could see Kevin Owens winning. I don't know how exactly this is going to go down though. This is a little more like. I don't okay. have a I, yeah. I'm, I don't have a definite thing. I'm gonna place my bets on Chris Jericho. I, I think Jericho's gonna win it. I think Kevin Owens been pretty cocky lately, and the best place to end the cockiness is at WrestleMania. What do you think, Simone? I think honestly, I think Jericho may win if Sami Zayn has a hand in it. Mm-hmm. Because reaction the rivalry between Sami Zayn and Owens would be awesome because they haven't had their big match yet and they've been I mean they've been going through all the Indies together, but we they're big friends since they're eighteen, they were eighteen and it would be to see them make their big match. I mean nobody is a natural heel as good as Owens right now. Nobody is a natural face as good Sami Zayn is right now, so it's just natural that they make the best out of the best. And I really like how Jericho has taken both under his wing. Mm-hmm. I really like this. I don't know. Maybe always may win because he may need a victory more than Jericho. Because even though yeah, always is pretty much untouchable at the moment. But it's always been associated with titles, whereas Jericho will lose nothing with a loss. You know what I mean? Yeah, he'll Jericho still have his reputation. He's a totem right now. He's, he's untouchable. 
So, yeah, uh, it can go both ways. I, I see Owens winning, but Jericho may win with a Sami Zayn intervention. I think this match is going to end clean. It's going to be a phenomenal match. They're it's both amazing workers. Yeah. I think maybe Kevin Owens is going to get the win because of that new stable they're forming. Samoa Joe may get involved. It's so funny to me. Maybe, Simone, maybe you had a similar reaction when after the Monday Night Wars ended and a lot of WCW wrestlers went on the WWE. But it's it's so odd for me to see Samoa Joe on Monday Night Raw because for years I've seen him on TNA Impact Wrestling. And it just... It doesn't seem. I mean, it's. I mean, it's good for him, but it just seems so weird seeing him. It seems unreal. Yeah. I guess maybe you. Did you feel the same way when Sting made his premiere on Raw? Well, no. Sting was so overdue when he came. It was a bit more. It's different in a way because uh, nowadays WWE has always been a big fish, and TNA was a smaller fish, mm-hmm. and ROH too. So seeing all this talent move from one to the other is sort of natural. It's the coronation of their careers. Right. Whereas back in the day, it was I think the most shocking was when uh, the well, of course, when the outsiders went to WCW when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall moved and founded and formed the NWO. Right. That was the biggest shock, I think, was like seeing his WWE guys going to WCW. And then when uh, Andy Guerrero and Fanny Saturn and Chris Benoit moved over to WWE, that was a shocker. Okay. But, uh, but it's different. It's different because these are indie guys, you know, like even, uh, even though TNA was trying to give you this uh, sense of we're on the same level with WWE. They, ne- they never not. were. They never they were. Never were. Right. Whereas WCW, for I don't know, something like eighty weeks in a row, beat WWE. Yeah. So it was way more shocking back in the day when it was these big giants moving the talent around. Now, yeah, it's sort of it's bittersweet because. Seeing people like Kevin Steen, Samoa Joe, uh, stumbling into the creative of WWE, and you know, you know, I'm very critical to creative of WWE because they got all this great talent, they got some of the best talent in the world, and sometimes they don't know what to do with it. And I'll yeah. go back to the example of Cesaro, mm-hmm. or even He's, Sami Zayn, you talked about too. Or Sami Zayn. I mean, the fact that Sami Zayn is uh, is uh, he's John Cena material, but mm-hmm. without all the artificial parts that John Cena has. If you understand what I mean, right? His, his charisma is naturally likable. He does amazing stuff in the ring. He is a storyteller that's second to none, and. Daniel Bryan is the same. Oh, Daniel Bryan. I love Daniel Bryan. They forced him. They forced his... uh, They forced him to do all the crazy stunts all the time. But he 
was they could have used him in a way safer way because he's such a technical wizard. Here's a question for you: You think CM Punk will go to New Japan Wrestling? I I think I sincerely hope CM Punk is done for wrestling. I think he's completely done. He dumped too much shit on the world and read him to go go back now. It would be so so incoherent of him, so inconsistent. So yeah. Yeah, he'd be a hypocrite. Yeah. He should, if he went straight after WWE, or if he didn't dump all the shit on wrestling, then it, I could have seen him making a lot of money there. He would have been a natural. Mm-hmm. But now, I don't know if he wants to go back to wrestling. That's the point. Yeah, More he, than anything else. He's working I on getting his uh, second UFC fight right now. I guess. And he's yeah. open to Bang. going. He's open to going outside of the UFC, which is, you know, wow. what a lot of people are saying he should have done in the first place. Hey, maybe he'll last fifty-two seconds this time. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, though. He lasted longer in his first UFC fight than Brock Lesnar did in his first UFC fight. That is interesting. Yeah. What about Bobby Lashley? He lasted pretty good, dude. I'm not sure how long did Bobby Lashley last. You know, Tony? I don't know. But speaking of well, MMA, you know, gentleman Jack Gallagher used to be in MMA. No idea. He's actually got a pretty good record for himself. What were you saying there, Simone? Lashley never won a UFC championship. That's true. That is a good point. I um, I I think that uh, I as a Punk fan, I wish CM Punk would come back to the WWE. But I do agree that if he did come back. He, he would seem like, unless someone completely new was in charge and there was different higher-ups, he would seem like a hypocrite. He would be seen like a hypocrite, but it would be a draw having Punk back. Oh, can you imagine Punk versus AJ Styles? Oh my god, that's AJ my dream AJ Styles match. is amazing. I win, that was my dream match to see on Punk versus AJ Styles. That would be a good time. match. That would be a good AJ match. AJ Styles is exactly uh, what bothers me with that. Can you explain a little bit more? How in how in heaven did it take them uh, eighteen years to realize how good it was? That guy has been consistently one of the best wrestlers in the world since he was twenty-four. He was doing stuff in the X Division with Samoa Joe uh, and uh, Christopher Daniels. That was amazing in the early two thousands. WWE was stuck with the leftovers of the Attitude Era. Right. And it took them so long to realize that it was that good. And he had to move all around the checkerboard before they noticed him. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. That that just pisses me off. Because he should have been there like 10 years ago. He was complete back in the day. So, I'm gonna. We're getting close to the the, the the show time to end it. So I'm gonna end on a fun question. If you were, your the show as a as a whole, how good do you think it's gonna be out of a five? Out of five stars. Out of five stars. I feel bad saying this because, but it's taste. This is purely taste. Uh, for me, it's probably going to be two and a half. He said exactly what I was about to say. You were going to say two, two and, and a half. half stars. I was going to give it three. 
I think the show has potential to at least be a 3.5 or a 4. Not a perfect 5. It's uh, not going to be Wrestle Kingdom 11. Oh, uh, you did see Wrestle Kingdom 11. Did, yeah. John, did you see Wrestle Kingdom 11? I haven't. Okay, we got to talk about Wrestle Kingdom 11 real quick before we close the show. Simone, you introduced me to it. Uh, why don't you talk about Wrestle Kingdom? Why don't you open it up and then you can jump in too, Tony? Okay, so uh, Wrestle, Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom is the WrestleMania of New Japan for wrestling, and it's the first show of the year. <coughs> they basically start off with a boom. And uh, this year's Wrestle Kingdom had a mind-blowing card. The first half was started slow, and I was sort of like, oh, this year is going to be kind of disappointing. There's been some fun matches. And then when it started going for the big titles and you had uh, uh, Naito and against Tanahashi and you had all the big titles on the line, it fucking blew my mind. It was like the most accomplished card of wrestling I've seen in a long time. And the main event, holy Jesus, the main event. Okada versus Kenny Omega. Katsuchika Okada versus Kenny Omega was was a match so good that Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer had to make up a six stars evaluation for that match. Six star evaluation. Six Chris Jericho didn't he say it was the best match he's ever seen or something to that extent? Yeah, and Stone Cold Steve Austin said it was one of the best matches he's ever seen. And Ryback said that too. And I mean, it's also a matter nowadays, wrestling has gotten so so much of a, a TV show that you rarely get a 40 minutes match. Yeah. And there's so much drama, so much storytelling you can do with a 40 minutes match if, if the two wrestlers are up to a test. It got to a point when I was watching this, because I watched this match last night, and after a certain amount of time, I said, how are these guys not dead? Because you just don't see people go in the ring for that long. I mean, this was probably, I would say, almost twice the length of CM Punk versus John Cena, SummerSlam, Chicago. That was a 40-minute match. Okay, that was, okay, so it wasn't, it was about, I think a little over an hour. Oh, it was 46 minutes long? Oh, okay. So then the YouTube video was uh, uh, running long. It was forty. It was, it was a 46-minute long yeah. match. Yeah. It was wild. They did. And Kazuchika Okada is, I think, is nowadays the closest to Ric Flair you can find. In that he's a good-looking, athletic, charismatic, and he can go with anyone make anyone look great and and this doesn't detract from Kenny Omega is the probably is one of my probably my favorite sports entertainer and not pro wrestler if you if you understand what I mean with a distinction you're talking about let's say the difference between Enzo and Bret Hart. The ability, yeah, yeah, the ability on the mic versus in-ring ability. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, uh, showmanship, uh, not just mic, but showmanship. 
as opposed to like uh, making it more look like a sport. Mm -hmm. So Kazuchika Okada for me right now is the perfect pro wrestler, and Kenny Omega is very close to being the perfect sport entertainer, and they just mashed together so good. It blew my mind. It was it, I, I. I thought you overhyped it, but then I watched it and it blew my mind. It was a really good match. So it, we are a little bit over, but I can subtract some time from all the times that I screwed up, <laughs> and uh, we'll make it work out just well. I want to thank our guests on the program, Simone and Tony, for coming on. I think we had a great discussion, and thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.